Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum and is titled, How We Categorize Risk of Mortality Must Dictate How We Treat PAH. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. So how we categorize risk of mortality must dictate how we treat our PAH patients. And we need to assess risk regularly, but there are some limitations to our risk risk stratification scores. And this is a depiction that really, I think, kind of accurately describes how our patients fall. And of course, those in red, the highest risk, they need aggressive therapy, including combination therapy with a parenteral prostacycline. A small number of our patients are at low risk at the time of diagnosis, and some of those may be appropriate for monotherapy. But the widest majority of our patients are at intermediate risk. And in fact, if you look at registries, about 70% of patients fall into the intermediate risk category. So I would submit if your risk stratification tool puts 70% in the same bucket, then maybe, maybe it's not as good as we would like. Maybe there are refinements to that. Um, and even when I think about intermediate risk, I think in my own mind, I think low intermediate, high intermediate. I mean, we treat patients a little bit differently depending on where they fall. So these earlier iterations of risk assessment fall, fell, had patients fall into three categories, low, intermediate, or high. Um, but of course, with 70% falling into that intermediate risk, we think that there's an opportunity for improvement. And we should consider that initial treatment strategies may vary within that intermediate risk group, reflecting the range of the disease severity. Now, despite this, If we look at registries, less than half of our patients, even in the the very experienced hands of some of these investigators, less than half of our patients achieve the goal of low-risk status. And that really makes us think about risk assessment, how we can be more aggressive, and how we can be more precise with it. Because the success or failure of our overall PAH treatment depends on the initial risk Um, treatment strategy and how we follow that up. So here is the algorithm from the Six World Symposium. Uh, This is really a simplified version here. And of course, any algorithm starts with the correct diagnosis, referral to a PAH center, you know, place that has experience. We, We always talk about some of the general and supportive measures, talking about exercise, sodium, volume, oxygen, those sorts of things. Uh, It's important to do an acute vasoreactivity test at the time of the initial right heart catheterization, particularly for those patients with idiopathic, heritable, and drug and toxin-induced pulmonary arterial hypertension, because a small proportion of those, probably only about 6%, will have a very robust response to that acute vasodilator testing and be candidates for calcium channel blocker therapy 
which is obviously a very simple therapy that can improve prognosis in such patients. But it's really important to remember that the response is very specific, a reduction in mean pulmonary artery pressure of at least 10 millimeters of mercury to a mean of less than 40 in the setting of a a stable cardiac output, a normal cardiac output that does not go down with the vasoreactivity testing. So that's an acute response, but really what determines the long-term response is how they clinically respond to calcium channel blockers. And those who are going to respond long-term improve to functional class one or two symptoms without the need for additional therapy. So those patients are a very small group of patients, but it's really important to identify them because a very simple, well-tolerated, inexpensive therapy can make a big difference in their lives. So for the vast majority of patients who are not vasoreactivity positive, we decide their therapy based on their risk. And so if they are at high risk, I'm on the far right here, if they are at high risk, be it because they're having syncope or they're in fluid right heart failure or the right atrial pressure is 25 and their cardiac index is 1.7. If they're, if they're that high-risk patient, they need aggressive therapy that is combination therapy with a parenteral prostacyclin. That's really, really critical. And sometimes we even talk about lung transplantation to those patients at the time of diagnosis. If they are not vasoreactivity, but they are not at high risk, they're in the intermediate risk or sometimes even the low risk range, we generally start with oral combination therapy. There's lots of great data for ERA-PD-5 combination therapy at the time of diagnosis. There is a potential role for initial monotherapy in a subset of patients, perhaps those patients that don't clearly fit into the clinical trial entry criteria for combination therapy or those with a lot of risk factors for diastolic heart failure that you're a bit worried about. But most of the patients now start on dual oral combination therapy. So we spend a lot of time talking about that middle section of the treatment algorithm, but what I think is the most important is that last section of the treatment algorithm, and that really highlights the structured follow-up. So whatever decision you made about therapy in that middle section, you need to reevaluate within three to six months. And honestly, I really lean towards the three-month period now. We need to do a structured follow-up. We need to use one of the objective risk assessment tools and determine their risk. And if the decision you made in the middle section of the algorithm, if the patient responds, they're doing well, they meet the low-risk criteria, that's great. You don't need to change their therapy at all. You just continue structured follow-up. If they are not meeting those low-risk criteria, if they're still at intermediate or high risk, you need to do something different. And that something different could be adding another therapy, adding a second therapy if you started with one, adding a third therapy if you started with two, going to more uh, more aggressive prostacyclin. The point is you need to escalate therapy and continue to risk assessment assess them to try to get them into the low-risk category. Now, unfortunately, despite our best best efforts, we don't get a lot of patients into the low-risk category or certainly not as many as we would like. This is a very nice paper from an Italian group where they look at the risk at baseline and then the risk at first follow-up. 
using the European Society of Cardiology, ERS, ESC guideline um, method on the left and reveal 2.0 on the right. So what you see on the left is you have the patients um, who fell into low, intermediate, or high risk at the time of diagnosis. And on the bar graph in the colors, you can see what they were at time of their first follow-up. So green is low, yellow is intermediate, and red is high. And if we just look in the middle bar, those are the patients who are at intermediate risk at the time of diagnosis. You can see that we get less than half of those patients to low risk with upfront double combination therapy. And the majority are still at intermediate risk and even a few have worsened to high risk. I think it's also important to look at the high risk category at the time of diagnosis. So the bar on the far right of the graph on the left, and you can see that of the high risk patients that were started on double oral combination therapy, we don't get any of them to low risk. We get about 60% of them to intermediate risk and about 40% of them stay at high risk. So while dual upfront combination therapy has really revolutionized the care of PAH, you can see that the majority of patients don't get to low risk with just that therapy. And on the right, you see a very similar situation for risk stratification using the reveal registry. Again, if we look at the middle bar, the ones with a reveal risk score of seven to eight, which would be intermediate risk, we can get about half of them to low risk and the remainder are intermediate and high. And again, if you look at those with a high reveal risk score greater than eight on the bar on the far right, we can see that despite dual upfront combination therapy, we don't get any of those patients to the low risk status. We improve about half of them to intermediate. Now, I want to focus on this paper from the French Registry. This was a recent publication from the French Registry that basically just said, let's, let's look at the initial treatment strategy, you know, how the physicians decided to treat these patients and what the outcome was. And the graph on the left looks at the patients who were at high risk at the time of diagnosis. And the graph on the right looks at patients who were at intermediate risk at the time of diagnosis. And the red line signifies that their initial treatment was upfront combination therapy that generally included a parenteral prostacyclin. In fact, it always included a parenteral prostacyclin. And you can see in the high-risk patients, the sickest of the sick, there was a marked survival benefit in patients who were treated with combination therapy with three drugs with the parenteral prostacyclin compared to patients who were treated with dual or monotherapy. And we're not surprised by that, right? The the guidelines all say high-risk patients need aggressive therapy. But I think what's even more impressive is on the right, the intermediate-risk patients These are that 70% of patients in the intermediate risk group. And obviously there's some selection bias here, but the intermediate risk patients who are treated with combination therapy, triple combination with a prostacyclin, they did better than the intermediate risk patients that were treated with dual or monotherapy. I think that difference is pretty striking. And that leads us to really reassess how aggressively we treat patients and how frequently we reassess them and 
maybe even what that intermediate risk group does or what, what they're like. And this graph, we call this the orange people chart. This graph is from an editorial that, that we wrote that went along with that paper. And it, it really highlights that there's a wide variety of patients in that intermediate risk group. And they're not all yellow. There are going to be some patients in that intermediate risk who have some of the higher risk features that, that maybe they're more orange than yellow. And maybe it's those intermediate risk patients that did better with the parenteral prostacyclines as part of triple therapy in the French registry. So maybe at the time of of baseline assessment and baseline choices, we shouldn't just say, all right, high gets triple combination with parenteral prostanoid, low, maybe you can get mono or maybe dual therapy and all the intermediates get dual therapy. Maybe there are some of the intermediates who have enough highish risk features that they should be getting more aggressive therapy, that they should be getting parenteral prostacycline therapy from the onset. And I think that the other point is early reassessment that that we know that we that not all patients are going to respond. We saw in the Italian literature that less than half of these patients are going to get to low risk. So if they don't get to low risk, why wait six months? Why not reassess them a little bit sooner and try to get them into the low risk status? And again, the patients in that intermediate risk group may fall into different shades. They may not be all yellow. There may still be some patients with higher risk features who deserve more aggressive therapy. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.